Hey everyone, Yellen Cheryl here, and this is the Family Life Canada podcast. And our desire again is to offer help and hope to marriages and families. And in this podcast, we pass on wisdom from other people. Primarily, we talk to couples who are willing to share their story and talk about the the learning that has come from those stories. We also talk to some marriage and family experts. And today. We're talking to the expert of all experts, in our in our opinion, <laughs> uh, Gary Thomas. Gary's been the author of dozens of books: Sacred Marriage, Sacred Parenting, Sacred Influence, Cherish, Sacred Search, Sacred Pathways, <laughs> and the list goes on. He's a gifted writer, a wise, thoughtful Christian, and we're just grateful to call you a friend of Family Life mm-hmm. Canada too. And I, we've told you this before, Gary, but I want all our listeners to hear. When Cheryl and I uh, started doing marriage ministry full-time about 14 years ago, we came from different careers and um, we plunged in. We knew nothing. We just jumped in the deep We end. were married, but that was about it. It's our anniversary today too, actually, 42 years. Yeah. yeah. So we, we dove in and uh, boy, sacred marriage became our uh guide our cornerstone still is today mm-hmm. folks if you haven't studied that well all of gary's books are great and then sacred pathways uh, blessed us at a point in our discipleship journey where we were kind of stuck and it just really opened up some great things for us and we share that freely mm-hmm. too so, so at any rate you. all these books are fantastic but we're going to talk about um is it your newest book or one of your newest books? It is the newest one, When to Walk oh. Away. Yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about When to Walk Away. And something we've never, in all the conversations we've had with you, we've never talked about this. Yeah. So the book is called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. And my question is, our first question is, why did you write this book? There's usually <laughs> a story behind these books. Uh, well, Cheryl, I wish I could have read this book 30 years ago. Okay. Uh, I'm sort of a people-pleasing personality. I'm quick to blame myself if things go wrong. I'm the kind of person that toxic people can eat for lunch. <laughs> they, they start salivating when they come across me. And I've one of the great blessings of my life, God has just given me some incredible friends, wise people that love God, know the word, understand human nature. And I had one situation where I was just dealing with clearly, I believe, a a toxic person. And I found out how toxic this person had been acting. I was going to my friend. He's been a marriage and family therapist for over 30 years. So how do I confront him? How do I address this? I just, my concern was that I did it in a way that honored God and and who, who he calls us to be as a church. And my friend shocked me when he said, Gary, my recommendation is that you don't engage him at all. And, and, and for me, that seemed like the ultimate failure. How can two people who claim to be Christians mm-hmm. be, be dealing with this? And he changed my life with his one comment. He said, I want you to go through the book of Luke, count how many times Jesus walked away from somebody or let somebody walk away from him without Jesus giving chase. Well, when a counselor tells me that, I, I'm going to go to all four gospels. Okay. <laughs> and, and it set me on a journey where I, I can't count the number of times I've read the New Testament. I mean, I started reading the Bible daily when I was eight years old. I'm now 58. So I've got half a century doing this. And I don't know how I didn't see this. And and, and the book in the appendix uh, contains a lot of these references so many times where Jesus chose to walk away from someone or let somebody walk away from him. I always would have considered that a failure. I didn't believe Jesus could ever fail. Mm. So I had to begin to look at this in an entirely 
new light. And so then some of Jesus's teaching began to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've made my wife, I, I, I quote Matthew 6.33 so often, seek first the kingdom of God. I, I can see my wife's eyes roll back when I mention it in a sermon. because She's told me, Gary, it's possible to preach a sermon without Matthew 6.33. <laughs> um, I, th- I know it is, honey, but it's difficult for me. <laughs> but guys, th- this is how blind we can be even when we've spent ha- our, our whole lives in Scripture. Seven verses away from Matthew 6.33 is Matthew 7.6, where Jesus says, don't give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearl before swine or else I'll turn and tear you to pieces. So he did launch the church on the offense in Matthew 6, 33, seek first God's kingdom, mm-hmm. pour yourself into God's work. But then mm-hmm. he warns his disciples because he's a loving God, but watch out. There are certain individuals, not only will they not receive what you have to share, they're going to turn and try to tear you to pieces. And, and he's saying, I don't want that to happen to you. I missed that. Mm-hmm. For 50 years of my life, well, it wasn't quite 50, but for decades of my life, I missed it. I think I could have been more effective in my ministry. I believe I could have been more present at home. You all know if you've dealt with toxic people, yeah. they haunt you. you you're yeah. not there when your kids are talking to you. They, right. they can get involved in your marriage. They can stop you from sleeping. And, and I just hope all of the family-oriented people who are there, and even the singles, Realize what toxic people take you away from and find the freedom that following Jesus often means walking away from those toxic people. Mm. Yeah. So you good. all can't see our faces, but we've been nodding through that whole, <laughs> through everything no, you so said. Good. So good. And I wish you had written the book 30 years ago because you would have saved us from a lot of uh, those relationships too. So so how do you define a toxic person? What makes a person toxic? Yeah, sure. Thanks for going. That, that's so key. I'm not talking about walking away from difficult people. Okay. I'm not walking talking about walking away about people who frustrate us or are different than us. Uh, we're called to reach out to those. Toxic people are a particular kind of people. Maybe a, a couple sentences will help. All toxic people are difficult, but not all difficult people are toxic. Mm. What makes somebody toxic is interacting with them takes pieces out of you. It depletes you. It discourages you. You question your sanity. You question your self-confidence. They destroy your joy and your peace. And all of that might sound very almost selfish. Why should I worry if somebody's doing that? But here's the thing. If I lose my confidence because a toxic person is twisting things around, I don't think I have anything to share with anybody else. And it's going to infect affect my ministry, not just with that person, but with everybody else. If I have no joy, what does the Bible say the joy is? Joy, The joy of the Lord is your strength. strength. So it makes us weak. Uh, there are so many ways where when I interact with someone, what I've found, and I don't know if this has been true for you, I've never had successful ministry with a truly toxic person. They've stolen my joy, my self-confidence, my peace, even what I think is sanity. I've never seen them grow. I've never seen me be improved, but I've lost so much time from healthy relationships, reaching out to difficult people who are hurting and want that time. And, and so where I, where I go in the book, and, and this is so key, it's going to come up even in family life. Instead of spending time with toxic people, the Bible says, find reliable people. That's a quote from 2 Timothy 2, mm-hmm. too. Paul says, and trust whatever I've given to reliable people who are qualified to teach others. 
And Jesus says something similar in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he says, disciple those who, um, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. So Jesus is telling us to look for people that will receive Jesus and want to follow Jesus. Paul says, find reliable people who are qualified to teach other others, that we invest our time in people that, that want to receive it and that will pass it on so that we're conduits of God's work. I had, I, I just, it, I'm embarrassed to say, but but almost this, messianic view that if I was just really surrendered to God and knew his scriptures and was walking in obedience and, and received God's anointing that, that everybody would just agree. Yes, God is right. I'm going to follow him. This is God's will. I want to do that. And when I realized that that didn't happen for the real Messiah, that people rejected him, that people walked away from him and that he walked away, it certainly won't be true for me. And so it, it was a tremendous message of freedom yeah. That uh, I don't have to let somebody destroy me and tear me apart. Here's an analogy that's been helpful for some. And, and feel free, guys, to interrupt me. When you invite a seminar speaker, we got a whole list of questions. So, yeah, but I want to hear the thought yes. and then we'll move on. But here's the analogy when I took uh, life saving lessons in, for water sports, mm-hmm. um, one of the first things they taught teach you, which surprised me, is self-defense. And the reason is when you go out to save somebody who's drowning, they might be panicking and they might unintentionally drown you. They're panicking. They're just grabbing. And so you have to learn how to defend yourself because if they drown you, nobody is, is, is helped and everybody that you could help save later won't be helped. And in essence, that's what Jesus, I believe, is doing in Matthew 7, 6. He says, you're going out to save people but you have to learn a little self-defense because some people won't be saved and they're trying to take you down so you won't be able to save others. And, and for me, that's just been a healthy thing. In this interaction, um, is this a situation where I'm growing and I just need to persevere? Or is this a situation where this person is just acting in a toxic way? And as we go along, there are certain markers of toxicity, but, but the general one is they're just destroying you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're making okay. you sick. I mean, yes. Yes. Yep. To use the toxic word, you know. Yeah. That, that's got it. I'll give you an analogy. So my sister had uh, cancer. She's doing well, but she went through this uh, treatment where they basically injected her with radioactive stuff. When she came home from the treatment, she had to ride in the back of the vehicle. She couldn't be near her husband because she was radioactive. She was toxic. She was going <laughs> to inadvertently, even though this, yeah, at any rate, it's so good, and we yeah. need to grasp that. So let, let's get a little more specific. You, you talk in the book um, about three categories. We well, talk about more categories, yeah. but let's talk about three categories because we're Family Life Canada. Yeah. So yes. parents, spouse, and children. So I'd like to go a little bit deeper on on this toxic notion in those three areas. Let's talk talk about parents. Yes, how parents can be toxic. And golly, how do, how do we navigate that when we're supposed to honor them and all that stuff? And not just parents, but parents-in-law. Sure, sure. Yes. Boy, we hear that story sure. a lot. And not well, just difficult because we have that, but what makes them toxic? What can we do, Gary? Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let me say three things that really mark people out as toxic, and then we'll get into the in-laws. If hey. control is a toxic thing, mm. we're, we're called to serve and follow God and listen to his voice. If somebody's trying to control us, that's a toxic thing to do. Um, if somebody has a murderous spirit, I know that sounds overly dramatic, 
But you look at toxic people, they're destroying small groups. They destroy your joy, your peace. They destroy church environments. They destroy office environments. You look at their life, they destroy friendships and family gatherings. That's a mark of toxicity. And then just recognizing, and this is what will help sometimes with toxic in-laws, toxic people love to hate. Mm. It sounds terrible, but um, the analogy I use in, in the book is that I'm genetically wired to hate cilantro. We're a minority. It's about 15% of us. But I'm with you in that minority. It, it just wrecks the food. It tastes like yes. bad soap, right? But most people love it. Well, a healthy person, according to Paul, when he's writing to Colossians, is motivated. What's delicious spiritually to a healthy person is compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and love. Toxicity is anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. That's all from Colossians chapter three, if people want to look it up. So if you're with in-laws, now all of us can fall prey to anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. But if we're healthy, we hate it when we see it in ourselves. We want to take a spiritual shower. We want to confess. We want to get out of it. For a toxic person, it's what makes them come alive. Mm. So you're at a family gathering and you see somebody that takes mm. pleasure in lying about someone, who takes pleasure in anger. They're most awake and alive when they're having anger or malice or they just say mean things. Those are things to look out for. And our job as parents and spouses is to look after our loved ones. So here's an example of that with an in-law. Um uh, a guy, I, I mentioned him in the book. I don't remember what name I gave him in the book because I haven't changed <laughs> the name. I don't want to just guess because I want to accidentally choose the right one. But uh, basically, his his mom was toxic to his wife. His wife wasn't being overly sensitive. It would just take his wife weeks to recover from spending the holidays with them. And they had had a really tough year some real financial challenges when the kids got sick. There's another, some learning issues with the kid. I mean, it was just one of those years that you have when the kids can be small where you're just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to spend Christmas with his parents that year. And his wife just finally told him, and, and she's, look, she loves the Lord. She wasn't being overly sensitive. She says, look, it's been such a hard year. I just can't even bear the thought of going to your parents. You know what it's like. Uh, with your mom. It takes me weeks to recover. I don't have that time. I don't have that energy right now. And so he wants to know, talking to me as a pastor, look, my mom, family gatherings are the most important way to honor them. The Bible says I'm supposed to honor my parents, but I th- I don't think my wife is wrong. I can see why she has a problem with this. What what do I do? Um, and, and this is basically what I said is that it, it's clear that you honor your wife, your mom most. Well, first, you, you your your spouse gets first priority. You all know that. You teach that um, all all over the place. But second, you honor your mom by treating her as if she's healthy. Mm. And if I were, if one of my kids were to say to me, "We'd like to come for Christmas," it's just I can't. We we just can't do it. This is our family situation. I'd say I would hope if I'm healthy, I would say, "Man, we're really gonna miss you." But I'd also hope I'd say to my son, but Sunday, I'm proud of you. You're making a wise choice. You're putting your wife first. It's what I trained you to do. I'm proud of that. And then I would want to address, if it was because of an issue of we're doing, I'd want to address what can we do to help address this issue? I said, if your mom doesn't respond in a healthy way, that's on her. Mm -hmm. One phrase I've said that so people have retweeted and whatnot is that Christians have got to stop feeling um, anxious about 
unhealthy people responding to healthy decisions in unhealthy ways. That's great. Christians have got to stop worrying about how unhealthy people respond to healthy decisions in unhealthy ways. Yeah. Yeah. We can't own toxic people's reactions. We're called to respond in a healthy way and to honor them. And I think treating our spouse or our parents as if they're healthy is a way we do that. Because here's the thing. Here's another example. Toxic people will use our faith against us. Mm, Talk about that a little bit. A different situation. Uh, A guy had two abusive parents. Uh, The dad was physically abusive. His mom had been verbally and emotionally abusive. Um, Dad was also an alcoholic and he, he became a Christian. They kind of ridiculed his faith early on saying, we'll see how long that lasts. And he admits that part of the reason he's lived out his faith is he didn't want his parents to be right. But, but, but God used it. And so when he had kids, um, you know, his parents were estranged from all of, all of their kids. When he had kids, his parents thought, this is our chance to get a do-over because now we have grandkids. And so they started asking him, when can the kids spend the night? Now, these parents hadn't dealt with their issues. There was still too much drinking and whatnot. And he was very clear, never. You, you're not ever going to be with our kids when we're not around. We, we don't think it's safe. And here's where they try to use your faith against us. I thought you were Christians. Yeah. Christians are supposed to forgive. You haven't forgiven us. If you were Christians, you, well, their parent, his parents never cared whether he was acting like a Christian. They ridiculed him for being a Christian. They were trying to use Jesus as a weapon to control him and to manipulate him mm-hmm. to leave his kids. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where you've got to say, okay, is this a healthy person or an unhealthy person? I, mm-hmm. I don't care what an unhealthy person thinks of whether I'm acting like a Christian or not. They're not, they're really not the best right. authority on how a Christian should right. act. And, right. and clearly he was acting in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Go, go ahead, Joe. No, it's okay. I, I, I want to re- reference a quote that you use in the book from M. Scott Peck. Uh, he says, to come to terms with evil in one's parentage is perhaps the most difficult and painful psychological mm, task mm, a human mm. being can ever be called on to face. So while a lot of us will recognize toxicity in our in-law or parent relationships or family of origin, it's really hard to, to kind of look that in the eye. To name it, maybe. And I, I love what you said about grieving rather than fixing. Can you talk yes. about that a little yeah. bit? Well, it was a counselor that urged me to do that. And I, I found it's helpful because I've noticed this thing. I work with a lot of young couples in premarital counseling. And I'll, I'll just use a woman in this example. It can go both ways. But it's been most common with the woman where a woman will come from a very dysfunctional background. And as a pastor, nothing gives me more joy than when a woman from that background chooses a really solid guy. You guys know what I'm talking about because often they kind of marry some of the problems that they grew up with. And when you're, it just gives me great joy because you see the gospel prevail, how God is transformed and you realize she can have such a different life. But here's what often happens. Nine months afterwards, I'm talking to them and they're thinking, you know, I got married now. She goes, I'm really trying to reach out to my mom now or my dad, whatever the situation was. And I think that's a spiritual trap. And I've said to some of these wives, look, I get why you want to have a healthy relationship with your mom. Who doesn't? But you can't have a healthy relationship with an unhealthy person. 
you're not your mom's mom. It's mm. not, you haven't been able to fix him your entire life. And what happens is this is the first year of marriage for you to focus on your husband, or if they've got kids to focus on having kids, you need all of your energy. You're throwing good money after bad. Um, and and it, it's just hard to recognize that, oh man, I just, it, it's okay to grieve. I wish I could have a healthy relationship with my mom rather than trying to fix it because you can't fix it if it's a toxic person. But here's a gift that God gives to young people and to older people. If you've got toxic parents, find parents in the church. Mm. There are a lot of parents, maybe their own kids have went away. Mm. They love to pour into younger people. Uh, They're looking for younger people to reach out to. Maybe they're insecure. If you're an older couple and your kids have become toxic or something, find younger families that you can invest in and pour yourselves into. Um, That's the beauty of the church where Paul talks about in one sense, the church becomes a more significant family to us because our family in Christ is actually a tighter bond than our family uh, along bloodlines. Hmm. And and to be healthy, we need these relationships, right? Yeah. So if they don't happen in our biological sphere of family, uh, I love what you counsel. Well, then look for them elsewhere because this is part of what helps me grow, um, become like Christ, become a healthy person, right? Right. And I, I want to add one thing because a pastor started preaching out of when to walk away after it came out. And um, I loved an analogy he made. He had a toxic dad, but his dad eventually came to the Lord near the end of his life. And what he said is walking away isn't writing off. Mm. So if you got to talk to parents, maybe saying you're not ever going to spend time with my grand, with your grandkids is a way for those parents to finally realize, okay, being toxic hasn't worked for us. Here's the carrot. Maybe they'll actually address their issues. So you're not doing it to punish them or to be toxic toward them or to be hateful toward them. You're calling them into the abundant life. Get well, get healed. Then you can spend time with our kids. Um, So we don't do it with malice. We do it with love. We do it with compassion. If we let toxic people win through their toxicity, it reinforces their toxic acts. When we're the ones that stand up, and say, no, you're not going to let your toxic, your toxicity doesn't work on me. They might have to, for the first time in their life, address their toxic behavior. Yes. So, so let's move to another category of toxic relationships uh, that are very important. It's, uh, and that's marriages. Okay. (laughs) So let's talk about um, when does a marriage become toxic, not just difficult, because we have difficult passages in every marriage. And, um, when does it become toxic? And then what do we do about that in a way that honors our covenantal promises and honors what marriage is about? You write some great stuff in the book. And I realize we're asking you to summarize this for the <laughs> listeners and people. If you want to go deeper on this, get the book and read it. But what can you tell us right now? Yeah, Neil, this this was the hardest one for me to write. And I sent it by a lot of friends because I have, like you guys, I've spent my adult life trying to help marriages grow. And I stand by sacred marriage that God uses the difficulties of marriage to help us grow. Mm -hmm. The challenges of marriage shape us. We're not to run from them. I have a very high view of marriage. But here's the thing. I finally, as a pastor, had to realize that there's a difference between a toxic marriage and a difficult marriage. Mm -hmm. I just just couldn't imagine. Uh, One of the most chilling things for me is when I realized working with a couple— This man didn't want to keep the marriage going because he wanted a healthy marriage to love and encourage his wife. 
He wanted to keep the marriage going because it gave him a sick thrill to have this intimate relationship where he could basically torture psychologically a woman. And I, it just was hard for me to believe somebody could be that evil. I mean, you mentioned the Scott Peck quote about nothing is more terrifying than realizing you had toxic parents. Mm-hmm. Wait, realizing you have a toxic spouse may be even more so. Yeah. And, and so I believe as a Christian, my job is to oppose evil. And everything that God has created that's good, the Bible talks about how it can be corrupted. It says to honor the authorities in Romans chapter 13, but there are evidences sometimes where we have to do appropriate civil disobedience. Paul tells fathers, um, or he tells children, honor your parents. But then in Colossians 3, he also says, but fathers don't exasperate your children. Right. So, and, and he talks about elders that are worthy of double honor, but then he talks about how elders who misbehave have to be called out. So Paul says, God grants us authority and structures that he's created, but evil works its way in there. Mm-hmm. And he uses the good things of God for evil purposes. And so as Christians, we have to, with, I believe, the sermon of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of the scriptures, realize that if somebody is using a good thing of God, even something as good and holy and sacred as marriage, for evil purposes, we have to stand against evil. Uh, it took me a while to get there. It takes me three chapters to explain that. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but I, I think we we just have to be aware. I just don't like to think of that with people. I, I don't know about you guys. I never have watched horror movies. No. I, I, there's so much evil in the world. I thought, why do I want to bring that into my house? And I, maybe it does something for others. I don't know. And so I think I was naive. I just didn't want to go there. But when I finally realized that Jesus walked away, he, he, look, this wasn't marriage, but this was something that really opened my eyes. Uh, with the rich young ruler. Several of the Gospels recount this story. Everybody's familiar. Rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and I've obeyed all of the commandments. One of the Gospels says something really key. It says Jesus loved him. Mm-hmm. There's something passionate about where there's something about Jesus saw. He goes, I really like this guy. Mm-hmm. And so after he told him what he had to do, he said, and, and come follow me. That rich young ruler is the only individual other than the disciples who accepted it that got that invitation. This was an extraordinary invitation. Jesus, if you sell all of you, all that you have, you get to be one of my closest disciples. And then the Bible tells us, of course, that he went away very sad because he was very rich, which is the opposite of what we think, right? Very rich, going to be very happy. And what that tells me is that Jesus didn't even let his personal affinity for someone cause him to turn away from the reliable people. Jesus let him walk away. He didn't chase after him. I don't think he was a toxic person, so it's not a direct fit. There's nothing that tells you that he was toxic. But Jesus turned to his reliable people, the disciples, and said, this is why it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He had that personal affinity. He loved him. Yeah. But his ministry was more important to him than his personal affections. Mm. Because I've got to pour my life out with those that God has called me to do. And, I, and I've seen in some toxic marriages where when a woman is being destroyed and who God created her to be, the ministry she could have, the call for others is being totally eclipsed. Um, and, and we say, well, because of this marriage, we want this woman and her ministry to be destroyed. Um, I, I just think... 
that doesn't follow the example or teaching of Christ. Right. We have a mm. we have a primary calling that that supersedes uh, even our marriage calling, mm-hmm. and it works both ways, both genders, because we've seen it work both ways. Uh, you say that in in toxic marriages or when one person is toxic, divorce isn't the first question. Right. That's so what is the first question? Yeah. When when I've worked uh, with uh, with couples, that's always what. And I just said, you know what? We are miles away from divorce. Just put it aside. It just confuses things. It's a whole different issue. Here's the thing: even if a marriage ends up in divorce, um, you're you're going to take time before you get there. And secondly, you want years of recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the worst thing you could do is to jump into another marriage in six months. You want to figure out what led you into that marriage, what the issues were in that marriage, and to do your work. And and so you don't have to act. It's like trying to decide before a child is conceived Mm -hmm. or before the child is born, where we're going to send them to college. You know, it's like, you know what, there are a lot of steps there. Keep first things first. And it gets really messy because a lot of times toxic behavior in one spouse sparks toxic behavior in a sure. in the, the other spouse. And so yeah. you've got these yeah. toxic patterns that are between you and it's hard to kind of disentangle them from kind of what's my, what's, what's my role in this and what, how have I been contributing? And it just gets really complicated. I, I really like what you have to say about taking some time, thinking about your own, first of all, safety, but then recovery and identifying things. And that that's oftentimes where we need some third-party help though, to kind of Absolutely. disentangle that whole mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I, I I like that um, you said though that- Let, let me say though, Cheryl, because this is really oh, go key. Go ahead. When you say we need some outside help, if you think you may be in a toxic situation, individual counseling is better than couples counseling. Yeah. yeah. Couples counseling is for a situation where both are repentant, uh-huh. humble, they're going to the counselor, help us. We want to deal with these issues. Yep. If you think you're being controlled or there's gaslighting or you just, you feel like you're going crazy, it's best to seek a counselor on your own who can help you evaluate your marriage and its effects. And then once you deal with those issues, then you enter into couples counseling. Great advice. Great advice. And when we- I work with, with men who, uh, who are in that spot, I say, look, it's going to make you healthier, which is going to make you stronger to deal with the realities of your relationship. Or if the relationship truly can't be redeemed, because of course the other party can do what they do, it's going to make you stronger to deal with that. So either way, yeah. this is a healthy thing for an individual to do. Mm. And then you have a whole chapter on on leaving the toxicity rather than the marriage. Yes. Yeah. Easier said than done. Right. There's a wonderful couple that share their story uh, for the book where I, I think a lot of couples could relate. They actually worked together, which creates all kinds of tensions, which you too would know. <laughs> <laughs> you are not Darren and Leslie. I'm not using <laughs> names here. These are actually their real names that they gave us. But um, it just would create certain tensions in their marriage and they kind of exasperated each other. Darren would, would want certain things done and Leslie might mess up and, and Leslie would never say she's sorry. Uh, even when she was legitimately in the wrong because she didn't want to uh, sort of excuse what she thought was Darren's too forceful behavior. And it just made things worse. So mm. it kept going worse and worse and worse. Um, and here's what happened. And, and this is 
Darren's word, they, they heard me speak at a sacred marriage conference, started going through the book. He started meeting with his pastor and Darren realized that this was really a spiritual issue, that he was asking something from his wife that he should only get from the Lord, which we often do. If we're frustrated in a relationship with God, we're not receiving affirmation from God. We're not receiving our identity from Christ. We ask our spouse to mm. pick it up, that we're there to love our spouse. That's a very different thing from depending on our spouse. But here's the thing I want some spouses to, to hear and, and hold your breath. Darren completely changed the way he started acting toward Leslie, but there'd been a pattern. This had been going on for over a decade. It took him 11 months before Leslie believed that he had changed. Okay. So those marriage books that say, oh, husbands, just start doing this. And suddenly your wife is, you're going to be married to a different wife. Well, maybe not right away. Sometimes it takes different patterns. She had to believe it to see it. And then she saw it. And then she finally realized, you know what? I'm the one that's acting in a toxic way. So what happened there, basically, it's the same thing for every change. It's humility and repentance. Mm. We realize that just because our spouse is wrong doesn't mean that we're right. You know, what? if you're trying to shoot at a target, there are a thousand areas where you can miss the target. There's only one where you hit it. So your, your spouse missing the target doesn't mean that you hit it. It's, it's taking ownership of what you might be contributing to because often we pile toxicity on toxicity. And with the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that God will forgive us, letting the Holy Spirit convict us, God has a way of doing that if we'll just be quiet for him. We have everything we need as Christians spiritually so we don't have to leave the marriage. We can leave right. the toxicity. Now that assumes you've got two people who are willing to do that yes. as Darren and Leslie did. Yes. Which doesn't always happen. Right. And so I guess I just want to, before we leave this whole idea of uh, toxic marriage relationships, I want to ask you this hard question. Uh, I like one of your lines in the book was you hate divorce the way you hate chemotherapy. Um being a breast cancer survivor, that kind of resonated with me, um, but that it's a necessary evil. I'm curious to know, though, how you square that with scripture. I'm sure you have thought all of this through carefully. So walk us through it. When is when is it a necessary evil? Yeah. I thought chemotherapy was a useful analogy because it's a poison that would be atrocious to give to a healthy person. Mm. Divorce, it's used as a weapon because you found someone that you are more interested in, that you have a new romantic attraction to, that you're disappointed with your spouse, you're frustrated with your spouse. When, when, when you've seen spouses hurt by this, I've seen men leveled. They gave their life to their wife and she walks out after 20 years because she found someone else. I've seen wives decimated. Um, they gave their life. Sometimes they didn't work outside the home, completely dependent. And then the husband runs off with someone else when he reaches a certain level of economic uh, viability. And, and you learn to hate that as a pastor. And you see why I believe that God hates it as well. But Jesus said what he said about divorce to protect women, not to imprison them. He said what he said because women couldn't get out of a marriage in the first century. Yeah. Just men yeah. could. Men could get out of right. marriage, some of them said, for ridiculous reasons. And he's saying, no, that's not what it's all about. But we've turned these words about protecting women 
And we've used it then to keep them in situations where when you see a woman being destroyed, if you've seen that, I can't tell you how many older parents after I've worked with this, and I've seen this with both a guy and a woman where the parents have said to me, Gary, we have our daughter back. We have our son back. They watch as a person was being destroyed by their marriage. And they just said, they laugh again. <laughs> you know what? God is using them again. They're there for their kids. I mean, you, you just see what happens. And, and it was terrifying to write because I, I don't have a low view of marriage. I think there are very limited circumstances when we can and should pursue a divorce. But there is a passage where Jesus says, he even speaks uh, in the gospel of Luke about whoever leaves their spouse for the kingdom. Uh, and, and so what did he mean by that? And I think if a marriage is so destroying a person and it's keeping them from doing what God has created them to do, they're not leaving for their own happiness. They're not leaving because they found somebody better. They're not leaving for their own enjoyment. They're leaving because they realize, God, the first call on my life is to seek first the kingdom of God. Nobody gets to stop me from that. And that's what Paul said. I, I think to use a language in 1 Corinthians 7, if you live with an unbeliever and you're allowed to be a Christian and, and they're allowed, don't divorce them. You know, maybe your example will call them. And I think that's true for every Christian. But he says, but if they finally say, look, if you're going to be this Christian, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Paul says, you're not bound. Let them go. And I think we have to look at toxic people in the same way. Your first call is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And usually what I found, if you do that, if you say, no, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to seek his righteousness. I'm not going to do unrighteous acts with you. I'm not going to, if, if you're involved in financial fraud, if you're involved in sexual things that I don't feel right about, all of that, usually the toxic spouse will eventually leave unless you've got those cruel ones that get a sick satisfaction out of abusing. That's a whole different situation. Right. But generally... If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and if you're with a spouse, they're the ones that are going to say, I just I just don't want any of that. Yeah. And Gary, I just want to suggest to all of our listeners that they read this book because right. you you lay this out very carefully, very theologically and, and very sensitively, but I think profoundly. And I do think we should all be familiar with well, with the whole book, but particularly those chapters yes. were very helpful. Here's Well, here's what terrified me. In fact, the first chapter about toxic marriages, I start out the chapter saying, if this is the first chapter you please, you turn to, <laughs> go back to the start. Yeah, yeah. The example yeah. of Jesus, the, the primacy of the kingdom, all of that sets it up. And I got to be honest, it still terrifies me to write it for this reason. When Sacred Marriage came out with that subtitle that I think really helped it to take off, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Healthy people got that. And they said, that's true to life. We, we answer, And it, it, it sold a lot of books. But then I became horrified when I realized some people were turning that around and telling people to stay in abusive marriages. Mm. And I said, no, that's not the right application. And I know that's how walk, when to walk away is going to be used as well. That, that though I try to lay out the biblical case, some people to get out of a frustrating marriage are going to say it's a toxic marriage. We, we, it's just, it's just the challenge we face. Um, we, we, it's our job to try to speak truth and lay it out, but ultimately right. all of us individually are responsible 
for reading, studying the scriptures, praying, seeking counsel, and making the most God-honoring decision that we can. Mm-hmm. That's, this conversation is so great. And if anybody's listening and, and you want to go deeper with this, again, read the book, but find a wise Christian person to, to air this out with, right? Mm-hmm. So don't just, uh, you know, take a phrase from this podcast and, you know, uh, choose a whole mm-hmm. course of action on that, but reason it out, right? Pray with somebody who's wise and and check the book out. We've got a, one more application. Um, and the last thing we'll do, we also talked about children. And we're not talking about dependent children. Right. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of us who have two-year-olds that we think are toxic, right? Because they're making <laughs> us crazy. <laughs> so we're not talking about walking away from dependent children, but but maybe adult children, right? Isn't that more where we have to sort this out? If the relationship is toxic, give us some wisdom there too, Gary. Yeah. I want to tell parents who have slightly younger adult children, just to learn from the lessons of parents who have older children that were toxic, because I'll ask these older parents, has giving in to toxic kids helped them grow? I've yet to find a parent that said yes, that it's a good strategy, that rescuing a toxic kid doesn't work. And it's the opposite of scripture. Here's a dad who had three kids. He had a son and, and two daughters. It terrifies me because that's my family, but this is definitely not my situation. I have an amazing son, but his son was uh, just, he was just toxic. And his two daughters are incredible. I mean, just amazing women of God. They love the Lord, solid, making wise choices. And he was meeting with a counselor and he knew the whole family situation. And he said to him, you realize you spend more time on this toxic son alone than you do your two healthy daughters combined. And that's the opposite of the biblical model when Paul says to Timothy, find reliable people. We need Mm -hmm. to train up solid Mm -hmm. servants of the kingdom. And often we let one toxic kid turn us away from the reliable kids. And and that just never works. And he said to him, look, has this helped your son make wiser choices? No. But has it taken? taken away a lot of time from your other relationships. Absolutely. And I see that time again. Uh, Another situation was uh, a woman who had a toxic older daughter. And this woman, God is called to ministry. She's, She's a gifted Bible study teacher, a mentor to a lot of women, solid marriage, all of these areas. And her daughter would call her when she was in crisis and she would keep rescuing her she would cancel times of her bible study she would tell her husband i'm sorry we we can't go out she would beg off other friends that needed to get through and a decade of this and she realized my daughter is no closer to responsibility Mm. or god than she was and she's just adding up all the hours that she took away from fruitful ministry that Mm -hmm. could have been released and i it's just hard but but it's the model of jesus there were people that said jesus please stay and he still left and there are sometimes that people said to jesus please go and jesus left now we know as god he loved them the bible tells us god doesn't want anyone to to perish right and so jesus's desire was never to want anyone to perish and yet he would still walk away if god can walk away even uh, fr- from us, uh, then then we have to make the hard choice sometimes with our kids. And again, that's not writing them off, right? But right. recognizing that rescuing right. doesn't help and taking time away from healthy relationships just isn't wise. 
And then you also mentioned and really trusting that God is working behind the scenes and and working in their lives in ways we can't see and in ways we actually can't control as parents. Absolutely. This is what gives us confidence. Parents, the Holy Spirit is real. Mm. God is plotting and he's planning. You think in the Islamic world, if you talk to missionaries, one of the primary reasons that Muslims come to the Lord is they have dreams. You know, because the governments, they can't stop people from having dreams. God is creative in reaching people. And so you're not condemning your children by focusing on time. God is going to work. You're there to be God's instrument when he calls you forward, but have an open ear to what God wants you to do, but give yourself generously to the reliable people. And and maybe as we start to wrap up, this is just a good point. The whole thing about whether you're walking, walking away from a toxic parent, spouse, or child is so that you can give yourself generously and sacrificially in healthy ministry relationships to reliable people. I'm not talking about psychological self-care, though there's a place for that. I'm certainly not talking about so that you can go binge watch Netflix. It's about making the best use of our time. Our time is limited. In my late 50s now, I realize it's getting more limited, and I just want to make the most of every moment. And I've just found, looking back, Hmm. toxic people are a tremendous waste Mm -hmm. of ministry time. Mm -hmm. And I just follow an example of Jesus and learn when to walk away. You have a great chapter in your book about being toxic to ourselves. Uh, we're not going to talk about that today, but it's a great chapter. But I, I just I just want to know in general if there's sort of an antidote to toxicity, because one of the hallmarks of toxicity, as I've heard you speak, is lack of repentance, um, an unwillingness to change. So is there is there something that can unlock that uh, if you are in a toxic relationship of some sort? The, the best antidote to toxicity is humility. Uh, mm. if you, it's been called throughout the Christian church's history, the queen of the virtues. There's really no sin that you can commit if you're a humble person. You wouldn't cheat somebody financially. You wouldn't abuse somebody sexually. You wouldn't make somebody feel smaller if you have humility. You want to encourage people. You want to lift them up. You want to to build them up. Um, And so I go back to Colossians 3 where Paul says, we take off anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language and lying. We put on compassion, Mm -hmm. kindness, gentleness, patience, and love. Yeah. And and so I run that list through my mind all the time. Mm -hmm. Today, am I acting with kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience, and love? Am I responding with anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language or line. I'm to take off one and to put off the other. So the the short answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life of Hmm. Jesus Christ within us. And it's such a better life uh, to, to give. When you taste it, when you learn to encourage, gossip loses its appeal. When you learn to love and to relate, lust seems like such a weak, pathetic counterfeit in comparison. When you learn to give, you learn it's like, it's, it's so much better than cheating or, or, or committing fraud. It's just God's way is better. Choose the abundant life uh, over the toxic life. 
well. We said. have so enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> we could go on and on and on. Uh, but thank you for all of this, Gary. Uh, as always, gracious words, kind words, helpful words, clear, uh, corrective. Thanks for all of that. Mm-hmm. And if you've made it to this point in the podcast, people, um, once again, the book's called When to Walk Away by Gary Thomas. Would you share this podcast? Would you direct your friends to this book? There's help and there's guidance for all of us here. So thank you, Gary, so, so much for being thank part you. of this. Well, thanks for having me, inviting me out to the Pacific Northwest again for a little bit. Oh, like, what do you guys call it the Pacific Southwest in your place, right? Is that- yeah, right in Canada, I guess you would be. We, we just call it Lotus Land. A beautiful place in the world. It, it is, is a yeah, beautiful place. Yeah. Okay, well, please, our best to you and your family. And thanks again, Gary, for joining us. And thanks to you, our listeners, for being with us. You can uh, check out other interviews we've done with Gary over the years and also listen to some other podcasts on the Family Life Canada podcast at familylifecanada.com. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon.